Please be advised that in order to foster quality discussions in each episode, we will spoil the stories in each game and text we talk about. Good news is, 90% of the titles we cover are old enough that many of you might already know all about them. That said, we do encourage you to play and read before listening. He believed he was right in saying that the lower animals on Animal Farm did more work and received less food than any animals in the county. That was one of my favorite lines of the book. It's like really simple, although most of the book is simple, but it's very simple. But that that was one of the moments where I was like, it, it just felt immediately applicable to modern day. I mean, Caleb, you drive a beverage truck for a living. You work at coffee shops, Riley. And what's the hierarchy in a job like that? What's the hierarchy? There's always uh, a hierarchy, right? Grunt level workforce. Uh, usually there's either middle management or upper management of some sort. Depends how big the company. And then when you go beyond that, just it gets to disgusting wealth that we could never imagine or dream of. People that have say and people that have no say. Right. Like, at my job, I think we're all at the same level technically in different ways, uh, like all of us. But at my job, I do all the work. I, I mean, I'm that, in that grunt category that you mentioned. And then you talk to management. You tell them what needs done. They ignore you. Eventually, they steal your ideas and come back and tell you what's what needs done. And get uh, paid a lot more to do it. Yeah, I was going to say, I, uh, who makes more money? The people that don't listen to anything and just sit around having meetings all day. Yep. Who uh, live in their farmhouse and ignore the farm. And it's sort of a shame to feel like an animal packed in, into a little ball and clipped onto management's waistband until the moments few and far between, they actually ask for our opinions. Like I said, only to ignore them or steal our ideas and continue paying us the same shitty wage. Are we in agreement? Yes. I concur. Welcome to Arcade Bookshop, where we talk about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. I'm Bryce Yoli. I'm here with my pal and cousin-in-law, Caleb James, and back with us again today is my oldest friend, Riley Moon. Today we're talking about Animal Farm by George Orwell. <clears throat> Animal Farm by George Orwell, after last week's episode about Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, and the third generation. So... This book's about a farm in which the animals rebel by attacking the human owners, running them out of their house and off the property. Throughout the book, the animals are righteous about themselves and about kicking them off the property, forming anti-human rules, defending the property when the humans try to come back, and continuously modifying their animal legislature as time goes on and conflicts arise. I think that's a pretty good summary. Do you guys agree? Would you add anything? Um... Other than the allegory to communism and whatnot, but we'll be getting to that shortly, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. And before we do, I'd like to bridge the game and book with the idea of uh, Pokemon essentially living digitally in small f- spheres that trainers often store in their waistbands, like I mentioned a minute ago. And this book's about communism, like you said, um, which we know only works in theory and not in practice. And while... Pokemon, the game or the cartoon, doesn't really display communism or talk about it in any way. 
I think uh, someone adult who's consuming this um, always thinks about Pokemon at some point in some little way in the back of their mind as being forced to live in these little balls that usually are only being uh, they're usually only being released to fight to battle or you know they you rarely see them out just hanging out you do but there's always something weird about it I mean I, I always felt that way like it's I know it's I know it's an innocent thing and there's like like when we talk about it this way we're really digging but I think we've all thought that yeah it's definitely against their will <laughs> in some in some form I actually wrote down here, like, obviously, who cares because it's a TV show and a video game. Um, But there is, like, an element of abuse that crosses your mind when you think of how absurd it is. Like, (laughs) Has there uh, ever been a Pokemon Revolution in any of the games or mangas? I doubt. Well, I don't know. Like like Spencer mentioned when we were on our uh, Plague episode. uh, Yeah, but it's just, like, there has to be some kind of retribution for all these... uh, you know, gym rats who are basically using these Pokemon as slave work labor. Right. Like it's terrible. Well, they not just they're not just slave labor, they're fighting each other, which is infinitely worse. I always loved the idea that even though there were Pokemon that were owned by people and fighting each other, there were still wild Pokemon out there just <laughs> enjoying their lives and their natural habitats. Right. That's a good point that we didn't really talk about before. <laughs> there is a contrast there and it's I don't, like I always feel stupid because uh, when you think about literature or things that people talk about to extract the, the metaphors and allegories you talk about them because it's clear there's something there and with Pokemon there clearly isn't anything there <laughs> except on a subconscious level uh, and le- like we said in the last episode, th- it was hard to talk about that because we tried to do research and see what people said about Pokemon I- in terms of in terms of l- like from an analytical point of view. And there's just nothing. The story is just not there. I, I think even in the TV show. Um, so it's silly to talk about it this way, but it's I, I think I think what the way we have to approach it which I think we've done already is just that like subconscious instinctual reaction when you look at it as an adult. And I, I like Riley's idea about the wild Pokemon and how you can have some kind of expanded Pokemon yeah. universe where, you know, in, in the real world you have cattle, but you also have wild bovine in some areas. Still, there are different species of cow that just, not so much in most places, maybe like Australia and a little bit in the U.S. that like Buffalo and stuff that actually still roam wild. But we've you know pretty much conquered most species and tamed most species, and that's kind of what happened in the Pokemon universe. Most species have been tamed, and now they're just used for labor or whatever else they want to use them for. Yeah, exactly. And then when you think about it uh, with the with Animal Farm, uh, it makes me think of the repeated issue of living in the confines of the farm, working dawn till dusk, and uh, the food ends up being regulated and rationed unfairly. Um, And you don't really hear about, you don't really hear about free animals elsewhere, except 
Um, I mean, I don't think you do. Do you do you hear about other animal, other farms doing that? Animals rebelling at other farms. You or, mean in the book? Yeah. No. Right. There's, so, uh, I think, maybe rumor that is mentioned about other animals uh, looking at Animal Farm as an example, but it, I don't think it ever states that there's actually any kind of rebellion that follows. Yeah. And the, and then, so then the only other thing you see is, uh, which isn't really, I don't know. The only, I was going to say, the only thing you really see is the, I think, I think one of the ho- horses leaves, leaves Animal Farm and goes to a different farm be, because she prefers to be, I mean, quote unquote, enslaved. <laughs> oh, you mean the mare? I forget her name. The one that had the, uh ribbons in her, yeah. in her hair and then they didn't want the ribbons because that was one of the rule the seven tenets of animal farm one of them was you don't dress in clothes and she liked to look pretty she was mm-hmm. a pretty show horse yeah she ends up uh, uh does she escape i don't remember exactly how she gets out but yeah she ends up at another farm where she yeah. can wear her ribbon and be uh pretty much a slave uh you know an animal but she enjoys that life and that's i think probably Orwell's uh, view on certain people who don't only accept their place in such a universe, but also they kind of like it. They like being told what to do or being ordered uh, as long as they get their little creature comforts, which really hits close to home because Mm -hmm. so many problems today would be solved if people just would forego their creature comforts and say, no, fuck you. We're not going to take this shit anymore. Pay us more. We're not going to work for you. And nobody does that. Most people don't do that. Right. What character do you think you resonated, either of you, what character do you think you resonated with the most? Um, I would like to say Benji, but I don't have the indifference he does. Not Benji, uh, Benjamin, right? The the is, mule? Is that the donkey? The, yeah, the donkey, yeah. That one pretty much, from my understanding, represents Orwell, uh, or any person who can view such atrocities but doesn't do anything about it and just kind of stays quiet and knows like an eternal pessimist that knows things are not going to get better, which was kind of the moral of the story is things are bad and they're always going to be bad. And sure enough, they just get worse and they're always bad. What about you? Uh, r- remind me the name of the, uh, the old horse, the work, the workhorse. Um, boxer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the part where I was rereading it and thinking about the part where he never really questions anything. He's just like, I know I'm good at working. I'm just going to work. This is for some cause. Napoleon is always right. Yeah. And so yep. like in some respects I I feel like that because I know that I'm not I'm not high level enough to think about the theoreticals behind why we do things in society. I just know I'm good at doing my job and so sometimes I just like to put my head down, not think about it too much, do my job. It feels good to just get work done. But then at the other end of the spectrum, uh snowball there are some days where I just want to read and think about things and figure it out. And I'm just like, why is this this way? We can do better. There's got to be a way out of this. Snowball, the the other pig? Yeah. Okay. Because he was the one in the beginning that it seemed like he had good intentions at least. Right. Yeah, I feel I liked Boxer a lot too. Like, you always knew he wasn't quite right. But I think, like I said... Like I actually, like I said, and it's funny that I'm I'm actually referring back to our episode. But like I said about Team Aquan and Team Magma, how neither of them were right, and eventually they had to just accept that because nobody nobody can know for sure if they're right. 
And I think that I think the boxer just ended up working is he's like, well, what else is there where, I mean, I was part of this rebellion. I'm going to like, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to assume my leader is correct and just hang on and hope for the best. And, uh, cause what else, you know, what else is there? And eventually I'll die anyway. Well, boxer <laughs> had the most, he had the saddest story yeah. arc because, you know, he's a representation of the Russian labor class of the time. And basically, his whole philosophy was after the rebellion, okay, I work, we're all a team, we work for the betterment of everyone, and I'm just going to believe the government, you know, blindly. They they got us here where we, you know, rebelled, and now we're free, so why should I not trust them? And then they don't only lead him astray, but he works harder than anyone, works double time when everyone's sleeping, he goes out and works. And the only hope he has for a better life is this glimmer of retirement that they're supposed to build him a little pasture for retirement when he's, uh, I think, 12 years old. 12 comes and goes, and he's still working, and they put it off a little. Then he finally gets injured, and it's like, oh, we'll send you to the vet, and you'll be okay. And then what happens? They send him away in the meat wagon, and he's going to be turned into glue. And the only one, uh, Benjamin, the mule, the donkey, the only one that uh, – actually understands and remembers everything because donkeys, I guess, live a long time. Uh, he, through the whole thing, doesn't have emotion, doesn't have opinion on anything. This is the one time he freaks out. He's like, no, read the fucking van. It's not a, it's not a veterinarian. They're going to take him away and they're going to kill him. And he freaks out. And then the animals by this point are so beaten down. They don't, the, the only time they finally decide to respond and chase the, uh, the van down is when it's too late and it's already leaving the farm. So it's just like really sad because it's like, oh, you work your whole life and you think you're going to at least get to enjoy your old age and you never do. And that's basically the moral of that. And that's Orwell in the 40s saying that. So like, what do we have to look forward to nowadays? Yeah, I I think it's crazy. Like this book and uh, we have a we're, we're going to have a future episode of Arcade Bookshop about the plague um, by Albert. Albert Camus. Um, it's also up on the DPW, the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. Um, but we're gonna have it here, feature it here again later on. But we read these two books from the '40s, and you you going into these books, you think, well, I'm gonna run into some antiquated ideas here. And what you actually run into are identical scenarios to what we're currently living, and it's. <laughs> Yes, it's completely not good. <laughs> it's completely bizarre reading dystopian novels that completely match our present time. The one thing that blew my mind every I mean it didn't blow my mind, but it surprised me how it how to me it comes back to modern day. Uh how they have the seven commandments of Animal Farm and they're clearly lined out I'm going to pull them up real quick just so everyone knows what we're talking about. And that was right after the, the the first revolution that whenever they first took over the farm. Yeah. Okay. Well, for those who haven't read Animal Farm, the rebellion actually starts with the oldest pig. His name's Old Major, and he is a representation of Karl Marx. So someone who, in theory communism's a good idea but in practice it never works because there's always some corrupt or greedy individuals who take it over 
So old major's plan was for them to take over the farm so they wouldn't have to work so hard because the farmer, Mr. Jones, he's just a giant piece of shit. He mistreats him. He doesn't feed him. I think he's a drunk. And uh, he's basically a representation of corrupt government. So you have old major who sets this rebellion into motion, but he dies right after he gives a big speech. And then Snowball, who, while he is appears to be good in this book because he's not in it that long, he actually represents Trotsky. So basically just the lesser of two evils because Napoleon is Stalin. Stalin's way worse. So, you know, they actually go through with the rebellion and Snowball is a hero of the rebellion. You know, he does everybody does their part, but Napoleon wants to take over without giving out the whole story. He uh, gets Snowball pretty much banished from the farm because he's able to train these puppies. He gets these puppies and he trains them to only do his bidding. So, you know, you got these not rabid dogs, but, you know, vicious dogs. They can pretty much kill most of the animals on the farm outside of boxer the giant horse so napoleon uses these dogs to intimidate and kill the other animals and pretty much he just takes over and without snowball there napoleon's able with his sidekick squealer who's pretty much like the representation of the propaganda machine which and a lot of this stuff can also go to modern day so you think of u.s uk any country that has a propaganda machine not just soviet union russia but he utilized these dogs to enforce his will. And then when he takes over, he slowly changes the history. And then that's where we get into your tenets. He starts changing the tenets. And Snowball goes from a hero to he actually didn't do that much during the rebellion to eventually. No, he was the one who was on the farmer's side. And then, you know, he just these myths, truths and these lies just get perpetrated to such a ridiculous degree that all the animals eventually believe it and it's like i see this happen all the time in modern u.s politics it's disgusting like things from a few years ago people were like no it definitely happened this way even though we have video proof yeah so and that's exactly what i was gonna say uh <laughs> that's what that's what i was gonna say blows my mind it's exactly what's happening it's happening more and more and more and more and uh the because the way the commandments started out in the book are one whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy Two, whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. Three, no animal shall wear clothes. Four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Six, no animal shall kill any other animal. And seven, all animals are equal. And over the course of the book, uh, like Caleb said, they continue to change and change and change. They modify them to suit, uh, well, the... Napoleon and Squealer, they modify them to suit their needs or whatever uh, Napoleon feel, feels like he wants to do. Some and, animals and he, some animals are more equal. Yeah, and so like eventually they have to they they change they change almost all of them if not all of them. Like whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. They have to eventually change that because they start trading with the, the neighboring farms uh, in order to keep animal farm going. Um, no animal shall wear clothes. I don't know what it changed to, but I know Napoleon started wearing something. I think he started wearing a hat. Yeah, I was going to say a hat. Um, oh, and he, they started wearing those, uh, those like, medals or ribbons or whatever. Yeah. A after each, like, attack they had. Because, uh, like, the humans started <laughs> attacking animal farm, trying to get it back. Um, no animal shall sleep in a bed. They changed that because Napoleon started uh, sleeping inside the farmhouse on... Uh, 
the Mr. Jones, is that his name? The guy yeah. used to uh, and, yeah, the, started sleeping on his bed. And I think they changed it because he wasn't using sheets or something. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you guys, but every time one of these changes, I just kept getting so mad. Yeah. <laughs> this, like, this happens in real life. It I hate does. it so much. It's like technicalities that are like written behind your back and you don't even know it until it's done and you can't prove it. Uh, uh, and then eventually by the end of the book, it gets distilled down to one statement that which is all animals are equal but some animals are more equal than others. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. All right. My favorite one was when they added an amendment where once the Napoleon realized that there was whiskey in the house, they drank it and he got really drunk and then the squealer came out and announced that he was dying cuz he thought he <laughs> they never you know had a hangover before. But then when he got better, they they changed it again to from no animals shall drink or whatever. To, uh, no animal shall drink to excess. Stupid. Yeah, I love that slippery slope of the entire revolution going from everyone being so pumped. We got this. We got this. Things are going better. We're going to work for a cause to you just slowly see them getting more and more like, okay, like I see how this is going. And they're like, really? This is happening? And then it just divulges into this utter chaos of everyone knows exactly what's going on at the end and they're just killing off those people one by one. Oh yeah they uh how does that come they oh eventually isn't it like they all they all eventually have uh they give the animals an opportunity to admit all the ways they've broken the laws yep right and the dogs and then yeah and then they just e- each Kill one them. they just slaughter them and they break their no animal shall kill another animal rule. Um, well, they changed that to, yeah, without cause. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's horrible. And in uh, the whole book, they're star- they are end up starving the animals anyway because it, it starts with Snowball, which it, it's it's funny because, like, in the beginning, you, you do like Snowball. You feel like he's right, like he's doing the right thing. And... The sad truth is that I don't think any government can just, I mean, any, it, nothing is, nothing ends up being ideal. Nothing ends up being the way you want it to be. So you can always start out a government thinking, well, I'm going to do everything the right way, but there's always challenges. Like with Animal Farm, they didn't want to do uh, anything like humans did, but they realized that in order to maintain uh, food and and the farm, they needed to work like constantly. So Snowball was like, "Well, if we just got electricity, we could that would help a little bit. We could get we could automate some things, and then we'd have to work a little bit less. So if we just if we work extra hard for a little bit, we build this windmill, and we can we can get electricity going on the farm. Then uh, then we can all just indefinitely after that we can all relax. We'll only work three days a week." And everything will be good. Let's just work extra hard. And then the windmill uh, falls apart. I don't know if it someone attacks it or it just blows down. But then you have to rebuild it. And I don't even know how long. It takes years to rebuild the windmill. And it just ends up that throughout this whole period, they get less and less food and they work uh, more and more and more. And they they ration it and they, they give preference. The, the rations are unequal and, and the majority of it goes to the pigs who are working the least. Mm-hmm. 
I, for, I forget how I started off that <laughs> that point, but uh, you guys can pick up from what's from there. <laughs> that was the most insidious part of the whole story was at the very end when the pigs have the humans over and they're playing cards. The animals can't even distinguish the humans from the pigs anymore. And the uh, the humans are sitting there telling the, uh, the the pigs, like, you've done such a great job. Not only are your animals working more than any of our animals ever do, but they're getting fed way less. And they don't even know that they have it bad. They think it's good because you've convinced yeah. them this was good. Even because there's a underlying notion throughout the whole story where, well, things aren't as bad as it was when Mr. Jones was in charge, though, right? Even right. though we're working more, it's still not as bad. And the only one in the whole story who knew from Jump Street to the very end that this was all bad was Benjamin. And he remembers, like, no, Mr. Jones sucked ass, but these this is way worse. But he's just he's <laughs> stubborn donkey. He doesn't care. He's like, whatever. You know, this is how it goes. I'll die eventually. And it's so frustrating because that's... It's like the one person who, who knows the difference and who can clearly see what's going on. But he also knows it's, he sees the futility in even saying anything. And yeah. it's just fucking depressing, because that's real life. Well, I wonder, they, because I've heard it said that it represents Orwell to a degree, but I wonder if that character actually represents the just the common man like us who just works for a living and just wants to do our own thing. And just, you know, we just want to live. We don't want to be subjected to this crazy government, but we don't want to work ourselves to death either like we just want to be able to just provide for our families you know and have a semi-comfortable life that's all we want so if we could keep that going we will let the other shit go on and we won't fight you know awful governments or whatever it is that's causing these problems as long as we're not personally affected too much yeah i remember reading a thing about how they they were saying that there was a whole toss-up between does revolution have to be violent and does revolution have to be from the top down? Do you have to overthrow the government to have a revolution? And there is the possibility that you can do revolution from the ground up versus top down. You can start things locally. You can change the way that people around you think. You can build things better and slowly just over time change the, the way things are and make it better does it have to be violent i don't know it seems like nowadays that's really the only way that you can get people's attention well what would happen say if everyone just not no one none of us are going to go to work and we're not going to pay our bills not going to pay our mortgages not going to pay our property taxes you can't arrest everyone you can't make everyone homeless you can't like what would they do what would the government do even local and city governments, they couldn't do anything if everyone agreed to this. But that's the problem. Same with the story with the pigs. Someone always has to be on top and wants to get ahead and thinks they are, they're, they're more equal than everyone else. That's where the, the struggle always lies. And you can't overcome that because that is just man. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's the whole thing, like how, like how communism in theory works. But everyone has to agree with it all the time. It's just like when... I mean, I don't know how many people say this, but when we talk about student loans today, my wife, at least, is always like, what if just everyone just stopped fucking paying them? Can't what, what get everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone's always going to be scared. You might get like 70% of the country by like rallying them together, but the 30% are going to ruin it for us and make us all go to prison. 
<laughs> Such bullshit. <laughs> well, and the way that there's, it's so hard to not have your inner human instinct for power tied to that rebellious state of mind where it's like, I want things to be better. I want everyone to be free. But if I was in charge, yeah. mm-hmm. I could I could do whatever I wanted. And that's just inseparably tied together as a human instinct, I think. Well, the one problem with the somebody wanting to be in charge, when you're in charge, how often do you think the Hitlers of the world think they were doing wrong? Do you think they that their vision and their mind was wrong? No, they think they're the good guy. Everybody thinks they're the good guy of their own story. So that's where the problem is when you have a Stalin who's taken over communist Russia and just made it terrible, but that's his view of how the world should work and as warped as it is, to him it's a good thing. So as long as you have people like that, it's never going to work out. But it is crazy to think, too. Animal Animal Farm was such a small group of animals, you would think that they could all talk amongst each, amongst each other. It was only believable because they were animals and they were dumb. You like <laughs> if, if you only had 10 people, you'd be like, all right, we all see what's going on here, right? But animals are, it's believable that they can't figure out their way out of it. But well, that was the, the brilliance time, of it. Yeah, I was going to say at the same time, it's the, the brilliance of it is that they're all animals, but it's just like your group of friends. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. You, you like to think that if you were with that, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. That's why the whole thing is so fucking depressing because it's so real. <laughs> because well, nobody the is the a most, hero. Like, the sheep are the most like common example we use uh, yeah. for people that don't think and just follow. So the sheep in this story, they can't do anything but follow. That's like, that's the only thing they can exactly. do. They can't think for themselves. So you always have different classes of people and different education levels and just, you know, even if you're really intelligent, if you just had the wrong hand in life and you're born at the bottom, you might not be able to overcome and become anything in your life other than like a day laborer or something. So and if you're a day laborer like boxer, you really can't think beyond what you're doing because that's all you know. If I'm ever in a room with 20 people and this happens, <laughs> I'm going to be so upset. Would you become the Napoleon? I don't I'll know. take a charge. You guys are too stupid. <laughs> Just so I can nuke the whole room, maybe. I don't Honestly, know. <laughs> that's that's what I do. When when everyone gets quiet and dumb, I start taking over. That's always my instinct. I do that at work. Yeah. I, I always like I, I usually start out like like kind of the idiot, obviously, is that like I'm I'm new. I don't really know what I'm doing. And th- at a new job. And then Eventually, it's like, how are all of you so fucking dumb? And if my team ever listens to this uh, podcast, you're all really <laughs> smart. But, <laughs> but uh, it's it's just everyone else. Like you realize how small, uh, at least in terms of their thought, just everyone is. And then eventually, I'm just like. You guys aren't doing anything. Give me the position to be able to make this situation better than it than it is now because it doesn't need to be this way it's like there are there are options and you're just not you're not choosing to see them well and see it might be good then for a little bit after that time but what happens after that i turn into a fascist piece of shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Suddenly he has like this elitist bathroom in the office that no one's allowed to use. Yeah. <laughs> Gold plated toilet. He's on the top floor. It reminds me, when you go to the bathroom, I have to change the seat because it's mine. Okay. I'll give you the sheet, the flimsy one. Okay. <laughs> I'll work harder. So I was looking up the, like, what the characters pre- represent in real life. And you, Caleb, you already talked about a lot of them. I was surprised, I guess, that one of the, I think, wait, which one is it? It's the other, the other, uh, farm owners. Mr. Oh yeah. Mr. Frederick Pil- was Hitler and uh, yeah. Mr. Pilkington and a uh, Foxwood is supposed to be the, like the allies, like the UK and the U S and Mr. Frederick of Pinchfield farm is supposed to be Hitler. I didn't really get it. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I was reading it and I was kind of looking for that stuff and I just, it, it didn't, it didn't like hit really clearly to me that, like they, I honestly didn't focus too much on the neighboring farms. I didn't think that was supposed yeah. to be a big metaphor or allegory for anything, so I didn't look into it. But other than the guy being like a piece of shit, I didn't see, like, why was he Hitler? Uh, and then the Allied Forces one, I didn't understand because they're just, like, chilling and doing their own thing. And, you know, they just kind of come and go whenever they're needed or asked to. I, I didn't really understand that one either. I don't know if that was a stretch or not. I didn't read a lot into like the, uh, uh, like the allegory stuff. I didn't read too far into it. I was trying to get a, a feeling for the characters and what people think about them, and I, I didn't actually look into whether Orwell ever says, ever speaks to his own novel about like if this is correct, like if that's actually what he was talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, I'm curious, uh, because I, it's, it's. You know, it's that thing where like people, people start talking about books in this way, and and then everyone's assume everyone assumes it's the truth, just like how in like, uh, the Man in the Sea, everyone everyone talks about how it's this big allegory, and Hemingway is like, no, it's just about a guy that is going out to sea to catch a fish. <laughs> well, it's like we talked about that in the plague episode. You know, uh, yeah. It's just like people see all this allegory in here, but that might not actually have been the author's intent, or maybe they used that just as a stylistic choice, but it wasn't something to look super deep into. Obviously, this is very allegorical, but uh, yeah, I didn't like the one was the main one. I didn't really understand. Uh, like the whimper one, I thought was pretty good because the character, you know, he does the bargaining and trading with uh, the pigs, and basically he's just like the country's that came and did business with dictators like they didn't care about they ignored the atrocities and how awful everything was so whimper ignored every horrible thing going on in the farm because he could make some money like that was his only concern that actually the way i mean you talking about it just now it reminded me of catch 22 i i'd like to talk about that at a, in a future episode did you read that riley i think i did but it's not on the top of my head right now I read that a few or like I don't know, like five five or six months ago, and I love that book. I like didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Um, I didn't really know what style of writing it was, and it's it's almost like Vonnegut. Really? Yeah, only a little more serious. But there's a character in it who, there he's he's part of this. God, I can't think of the word. This like squadron who's deployed or whatever. Uh, they're like they're they're bombers, but he ends up. He ends up being kind of like a 
quartermaster, but he like appoints himself that way, and uh, and he he ends up taking planes and flying over to the countries where they do like their R and R and stuff. And over over the course of the book, he establishes relationships with all the governments in all these neighboring like countries or regions, and he establishes this huge trade system. And th- there's a huge amount of absurdity to it, where uh, he he tells everyone that they're like a partner in in his business, <laughs> and. And, and and like they're all gonna get the, get theirs in the end. Like just just like invest. Don't worry, you'll right, get yours. Right. Uh, but in 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 the in the end, he just ends up having to harm his own people. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. it <laughs> it's that like complete ignorance thing. Like he's he's making a a, a few bucks and and sh- and promising it'll come back to everyone else, but really it all all that ends up coming back is death and ruin. Yeah, well, I think that. That's so funny because that kind of ties back into the the whole revolution thing where I think that whenever the book starts, you th- feel like this is going to be a good thing. Everyone's super on board. Like, let's just cut all ties with the past, restart everything. We've got good intentions. Don't worry about it. And that was like the number one flaw where they wanted to completely forget everything that happened before and just move forward. And it's like, no, like you can't get better if you don't remember the past and by just going along with all this bullshit they just get tied up in oh wait how was how was this before like oh i think it was worse but i can't remember and you're just you're stuck up in the motions of how are things going and it just it just falls apart so fast and they're just left to deal with it right and over time because animals don't generally live that long I mean, you kind of said this already about Benjamin, because donkeys, for some reason, live a long time, I guess. Uh, over t- over a short amount of time, there's all new animals that don't know any different. And that's what everyone hopes for. That's what that's what governments hope for. People don't even remember what things used to be like. I mean, that's... And that's why history is important. It's so funny now, though, too, because nobody wants to have kids anymore. No one's passing down information t- from generation to generation. Everyone's just kind of on their own and so we're just every generation is just a free-for-all it's like if you if you know about bad stuff that happened before you have a leg up but if you're new to the game you're just gonna do the same stupid shit that everyone else is doing and then you can also talk about how a lot of people don't even believe in history anymore and with good reason and things just <laughs> move so fast it's it feels irrelevant but yeah, and like history is changing. A lot of it isn't. A lot of it we know isn't like completely true. At least. Yeah, you have to fight for finding the truth a lot of times, so it's hard. Yeah, like even stuff we were brought up in, like learning through school. Uh, you know, a propaganda. Lot of it, yeah, it's it's just a lot of it's just bullshit to promote like our own subtle kind of nationalism. <laughs> like, I mean, they call it we call it patriotism, but you know, ultimately it it's a, it's a, I mean, it, at least there's a degree of it being unhealthy a little bit. Well, and trying to fight that that mentality within yourself and correcting all these habits that you've made over time from just growing up like that is hard enough, let alone trying to convince people around you that that's not the way it should be, maybe. And yeah. that's a crazy fight that's just always going to happen. Well, the combination of time and propaganda just destroys nuance, too. Like, if we go back to discussing, like... How could a country 
ever, you know, do business with Hitler, let's say, at the height of his reign. That's crazy. We could never do that. That doesn't make any sense. You have to be evil to associate with them. But if you look at, like, just now, look at the countries that have to deal with Russia because they depend on them for energy, and then Russia gets in this war, and it's like, well, would we say they're evil when that's their only energy source, and without it, their country just dies? Like, everybody freezes to death and shit like that. It's, that's the nuance you lose as time goes on. And then with the propaganda, like, we were all... I mean, more specifically, like 40 or 50 years before our time. But even now, it's like communism so bad. And, you know, we had a time period where writers were blacklisted because of communism. If you were a communist, you were just evil. And it was like this big propaganda machine. I mean, Hemingway, he got he got the FBI was uh, for the end of his life. were following him around everywhere because he associated with communists. So. You're, we were taught that it's so bad and all this stuff, but we never were taught really why. Like, even now, if you ask somebody, it's like, well, what's so evil about communism? Well, it never works. But, but why doesn't it work? Do you know why it doesn't work? Do you know what it actually is? Uh, they like to, you know, people like to throw around socialism as like this big boogeyman word. It's like, is it though? Do you actually know what it is? Or again, it's just the way it's done and has been done. Uh, and it probably would never work just because of the, especially now with these big corporations that pretty much rule the world now. But it's just funny that we lose all nuance to these things. So, you know, if you see a country that was in World War II and, you know, this was their position, well, why was it their position? Well, they were evil or they were the good guys. Probably not. There's probably in the middle. Other than Germany, uh, Japan, and maybe Italy, I wouldn't say anyone was a good guy or a bad guy necessarily. Like in World War II, it just doesn't. It was too nuanced for that because there was just a lot going on. Um, and, the, the, I mean, you get countries like uh, like the U.K., uh, you know, like England. Oh, yeah, they were the good guys because they were attacked. But how about all the countries they've taken over for how many hundreds of years, you know? The colonialism and the imperialism. Like, is that not evil? Well, like, the U.S. has done the same thing to the Middle East. Would you not consider that evil? Worse we're you know american citizens so we think we're the good guys but the rest of the world now is like not so much actually it's like that's kind of a tough pill to swallow uh caleb what character uh do you feel like you most emanate with right now after saying all that carl (laughs) marx no (laughs) uh i'm not i don't wouldn't say i'm one of the pigs i am like a general rebel rouser though i do like you know at work i just uh if something's really stupid, I'll just be like, hey, that's really stupid. How can I get this person overthrown? <laughs> but yeah. I don't want to be the guy that's ruling everything. I don't want to be in charge of people. I don't like power. I don't think po- wanting power over someone else, I think, is a very bizarre trait. And that's I couldn't imagine wanting to do that. Just be like, I'm I'm the guy. You know, you do what I say. But some people really, really enjoy that. And it's weird. Yeah, I feel like a lot of us right now are kind of in that uh, old major seat where we see how the future can be better. We know what should be done, but we know it's not going to be done in our lifetime. Maybe AI will do it. I don't know. I don't think humans are capable of getting together and doing anything. Yeah. Unless there was a giant catastrophe that wiped out a huge portion of mankind and the remainders were able to rebuild. But even then, it wouldn't take very long for the population to get big enough where people were just like, man, let's be stupid and do dumb shit. That's funny because we kind of did just have a giant catastrophe, but it just wasn't big enough. No, it's never big enough. <laughs> uh, you were talking about how people don't really understand 
communism or socialism or if it's evil or why. And I got to be honest, like I've always had trouble with all the government stuff, all the all the, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff growing up. I've never fully understood any of this shit. Like I know what communism is. And isn't socialism almost kind of like the same, like a synonym for communism? Um, I forget the main difference, but I think communism is more of, let's say, the government will tell you what your job is. And socialism, I think, is just like, hey, we all do stuff that's going to, you know, be the benefit of everyone. So communism is in this book because the pigs are, you know, here's your job. You can work this many hours. And it starts off more like socialism because it's like, hey, you're good at this, so we'll let you, you know, boxer, you're good at moving heavy shit, we'll let you move heavy shit, makes sense. You know, if you're a good painter, why don't you just be a painter? But in communist Russia, uh, communist Russia it's not like, oh, you're a good painter, I'm, we'll just let you be a painter. No, you still kind of got to work in the shitty factory with everyone else. So everybody just kind of gets the, the shit job and, it, you know, you're all equal, but it all sucks. <laughs> like, socialism's <laughs> supposed to be better. Uh, I don't know any country that actually enacted true socialism that I know of. Uh, if anything, I would say socialism is more just, uh, you know, like what we implement in the U.S. Like we pay tax money, so we have a police force and fire department. Like, you know, that's kind of socialism. It's supposed to build our roads and stuff like that, you know, public education. But we don't do it very well. Hmm. So it seems like capital or communism is state-owned. Whereas socialism is community owned. Mm. Um, but I, th- I think it boils down to the difference between production and consumption and how those things are divided. So in communism, uh, the state would determine production and consumption. And in socialism, the people would. But that never works out because it always turns into communism. Think of like communal living versus, you know, government housing or something mm-hmm. like that would be the main difference so if you you know me you and riley bought a farm and we're all we all do our part we have our families there and everyone just kind of lives for hey you know i may, i grew tomatoes and you grew corn we'll trade and you know that'd be more socialism but if riley was in charge of the farm and me and you just worked on it and he's like all right you could give him that many tomatoes and he'll give you that many corn in return that would be communist okay but i think it's it's really hard because if you have someone in charge, it's hard to give them the same amount of everything and follow that direction. Like, how do you how do you not just go through leaders whenever there's no incentive to have that much responsibility? Well, that's like the downfall of a lot of unions is the equality portion. So everyone gets paid equally, but then that means the guy who doesn't do dick and is, you know, sleeping in the corner gets paid as the guy who's like the boxer who does all the work, you know? So that's not fair. So when you have this kind of setup where it's like everyone's equal, nobody's actually equal. It doesn't make sense. Like you can't have someone who, you know, is five foot tall and super unathletic and they want to play in the NBA. So we just give them a spot. Like that's not a quality. That's not fair. You know, it might not be fair that that's what they're given in life, but that's, you know, they could maybe find what they're good at and pursue that. But when a lot of people talk about like socialism and communism, they want everyone to be equal. We're all the exact same. And that's humans aren't the exact same. Animals aren't the exact same. It doesn't work that way. Uh, I think a better society would be one where, You know, like say in schools, instead of we all learn the exact same bullshit through 13 years of school, 
we instead focus on like after maybe elementary school when you learn your math and all that stuff everyone gets the basics but then it's like hey you're really good at like structuring things and maybe you'd be good to be like an architect or something would you like to do that and you can start taking classes that would be structured toward that you're good at math so we'll focus you on math That's like why can't we have focused learning instead of these broad spectrum oh everyone fits in the same box i think like, no no not everyone does that's why most people do terrible in school that's why most of us hated reading in school because they made it super boring because we weren't reading what we would want to read and just like there's so many systems that are implemented in other countries already and it's like you watch socialism countries apparently like the you know norway and stuff and it's like oh they're doing a lot of the things that are actually working but it's because they're treating people equally as they're all humans but they're treating them separately in their abilities i remember something that you said a long time ago about how <laughs> i think you were basically like you know China's all China's bad and all, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but one thing they do good is that their the algorithm for their internet is the opposite of ours. It's their TikTok. Their, their yeah. TikToks, uh, oh, okay, educational. Like they get educational TikToks versus the ones we get are just like you know dumb mindless shit. So it's just TikTok they do that. I'm sure it's other things. It's like because it's like what if they if anyone remotely cares about our our the intelligence of our country and we want to bring up intellectual people to run the country increasingly better. Why? I mean, obviously the government doesn't care, but <laughs> we, th th there should be an internet algorithm where every time you search anything, mm -hmm. the most intellectual, or, I mean, I know that's objective, but like the, the most, uh, you know, I'll just say the same thing just because everyone understands what I'm trying to say. Anyway, the most intellectual choices come up at the top instead of, the most ridiculous or absurd or perverted or sexual options because that's that's what always comes up first and it's well are you ready for the big truth bomb this is gonna it's gonna be uh hard to hear bryce um, the reason you're seeing those isn't because the algorithm is designed to send you stupid shit the reason you're sending that sending the those to you is because you're not searching the educational stuff because it goes by what you search of initially i, I got so a counter argument for you oh no what is shreya it? just established our instagram on the arcade bookshop instagram People are just slanging dong all over it because I see it. I know it's on that Instagram. Yeah, well, you know how I told Riley this. You know how you uh, you hit the, I don't know, the search button or whatever. Yeah. I don't actually use it, so I'm just, I'm talking, I'm explaining the way she explained it. But you hit the search button. Before you type a letter, all these, like, uh, like you know, like stripper people. Gross like, things, yeah. Yeah, like all, all that kind of, like, dirty stuff. That's just all that populates immediately. And it's so it's I think it goes by what's mainly trending all the time. As disgusting as that is, that's what's normally trending. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, even and then so, the algorithm I mean, picks that up. Yeah. And there's a reason that stuff is trending. It started somewhere. Big uh, daddy capitalism at work. So that's why all the music sucks now. It's just all gross. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, you were mentioning about how how in public schools there's no. Like they call it equality, but it's not equality. Uh, there's a world that exists above the grunt class where people have just enough money to eke into upper upper class where they can pay for private schools. There are private schools everywhere everywhere that you can have these specialized classes. 
all kinds of extracurricular activities for your kids, but you have to pay so much money for them. And so, yeah, that's the classism in effect. Exactly. It's like you jump from public schools where you're just shit on constantly with garbage and you're never given attention to develop your skills that you have innately as like an individual. And so as you get older and older, you miss out on opportunities. You don't know what's out there, but that upper class, they can do those things. They can find avenues that work for them. They can go to college and get networking and all these things that just don't exist and that you don't even ever know of. I learned that from Gilmore girls. (laughs) <laughs> where he goes to the night school yep. and i was just like oh man i wish i would have went to the night school they're reading cool books and i'm like we didn't read that shit and uh yeah a lot of the i mean they're more structured but they actually you know a lot of kids actually need structure which they don't get in public schools and i delivered to public schools and let me tell you it's terrible like just walking through there the kids are just in single file line just getting yelled at by the teachers they're not getting taught anything really it's just about passing tests just standardized tests and just passing test can you memorize yay you can pass and then that's all we care about and if you can't pass we'll probably eat you on to the next grade anyway just to get you out of our hair and you never really learn anything uh, i learned more in a year of just studying things by myself than i ever did in school which is really sad because mm-hmm. uh, i know a lot of people that even when they were like you know went to college and stuff which a lot of people go to college and they don't know why they're going to college they know they're supposed to get crazy student debt get a degree in something that they never use and end up working like a Walmart or something as a manager. And, you know, nothing wrong with that if that's what you would want to do, but most people don't want to do that. I went to school for sports science, but I I work at Kohl's. I'm like, well, that fucking sucks. Like, But a lot of people, even when they go to college, spend all this money, even the ones that are actually trying, they don't learn a lot. Like my sister, she went to school for graphic design, and she was like, this is bullshit. I learned, I could have learned everything that I got in school from YouTube videos pretty much, but I had to pay this money just to get the degree. So I get the job for the same skills that I probably end up learning on the job anyway, because everyone does their things differently. So it's like outside of like niche, you know, computer class, uh, certain computer programs and stuff. You don't really need to go to school for a lot of things, but we just, this country, and this is a whole nother rant. We don't need to go on, but like the government just kind of made it. So, uh, like a combination of the government and these big corporations that you need a degree to get a decent job and not even a decent job. Really. If you look at like the pay, like just a job to get by. And it's like, why this is something you could just learn on the job and not have to pay anything. It doesn't make sense, but it's just where we're at as a society for some reason. Yeah. And I think all of that collectively explains in the book, why none of the animals know how to do anything about their situation. Like, there's never a point where they go, aha, like, I know why things are bad right now. I know what needs to be changed. It's only Napoleon that is ever pulling the strings and knowing, okay, like, I'm above these guys. I know exactly what to do to make their insides tick and make this happen. And what sucks is, you know, if the animals got together and rebelled against the pigs to be like, hey... We want to learn stuff. We want to be more involved in the decision-making process. You know the pigs would create some kind of bullshit scenario where, yeah, we'll teach you this stuff, and then it's just it would be all wrong. It just wouldn't help them and probably make it worse for them, actually. Uh, and just one little detail to bring the education back to, like, directly to the book. 
uh, other than other than just like the, the vague idea that like they don't know any better, you ex- you you specifically see it every time the the commandments change because the only person who can read is the is Benjamin. Is it yeah, the, some of the animals can read a few letters. Yeah, uh, and or then like, the pigs obviously can read. There's, there's, I forget which character, but one of them uh, gets really good at like A, and then he learns B, and then he forgets A or something that like that. Boxer. That yeah. was boxer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and the, and he can write it with his. He wrote it in the sand or whatever with his hoof. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, and then some of them learn like some of like the first half, and then forget you know. But yeah, that, that, I mean that's a that's a way it directly relates to the book because they continuously change the commandments and they they paint over it and the only like nobody I, you don't you don't I guess you don't see most of the animals like there's more animals than the characters in the book obviously but most of the animals don't even see it some of them notice something's a little bit different or they'll be like oh no it's been this way all all along uh, but they need they need someone to verify it because they can't read. Because there's no education. <laughs> mm. And also in terms of education, I wanted to bring this question around. What do you guys think about the fact that this book is primarily assigned to kids in middle school or like early high school? I often wondered if that was deliberate because kids at that age wouldn't understand the allegory. Or if that's just done because it has animals in it and it's something they can eat, read easily and follow the general story because as a general story it's very easy and mm-hmm. it's just like oh well that's kind of that sucks and that's a bummer ending but i don't even with the study guides and everything i don't think middle because i read this in middle school and i didn't take away all this stuff from what i remember like i just remembered the story about the animals rebelling yeah i think it's a 120 page book it's really easy to comprehend on a surface level so it's perfect for that age group but at the same time you if, even if you don't know about the the wars and all the analogies, you you pick up on, oh, these guys are bullies. If you're a bully, you get what you want. And sometimes groups can do something about that. Other times people are just unable to help. I think for me, I if I read this in school, I think even if I read this in college, to be honest... I don't think I would take from it what I did uh, today because I think if you haven't worked a job for at least a year, like full time, I think part time, you don't really give a shit anyway. I think if you haven't worked a full time job for at least a year or two, you can't take, I don't think you even get it. Like Like you said, you can get the vague things like people being bullies and and the ones that the, the people that are wrong, like obviously, you you can you can pick up on that obviously because it's in there. It's I mean it's it's blatant, but this book really I mean it it's talking about government, but you also while you're reading it, you think about your position at work, and and how unfair work is, and you know because the animals are working every day, you know it's it's literally. It's a minimized version of government, and that's what jobs are, if you think about it. And and I don't think kids get that because most kids aren't working, especially if you're reading it in middle school. A- and most kids don't give a shit about government. No. So you're definitely not going to pick up on those things. And I don't know that 
I, I feel like I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I didn't read it in, in school, but I don't know that it's even worth it to assign it to them if they're if they're not going to get those things, because those are the important things. Well, it goes in layers, too, because you were talking about, you know, part time job. Like, say you're in college and you work part time. You could maybe understand some. Oh, yeah, it sucks to have a boss that doesn't do anything and tells you what to do. But then, you know, you have a full-time job. You're like, oh, yeah, work life does kind of suck. This isn't fair. But then when you get to the point where your job is your livelihood and you're dependent on yourself to survive, and now you're, you know, because of that, you're dependent on your boss not to fire you. Like, you have to have this job. It takes on a whole nother level of just bullshit where it's like, oh, man, this really sucks because now I want to change something at my job or I want to change my career or whatever. But I can't because, you know, what if I risk my lifestyle now? Like, the deeper you are in the hole, too, the worse it gets. And that's something, like, middle schoolers are never going to understand that. It's like, oh, yeah, why don't the animals just, you know, tell the pigs to fuck off and kill them and then they just take over? It's not that simple because, you know, if you do that and you're, let's say, you know, you tell your boss to fuck off, and you just, I quit, now you don't have a job, and now you can't pay your rent, and now you're fucking homeless. Like, it just spirals out of control. And kids will never, they just can't understand that. They can't comprehend that uh, because there's, you know, they're not old enough to live that kind of life yet, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, I guess, not unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, maybe they learn a few things, but. there. I mean, there's undoubtedly lessons in there, regardless of what age you read this. And, and, and I will uh, acknowledge that it's a very easy book to read. It, the, the language is just very simple, down to earth. I think, I mean, they're animals. They're talking simply. All of the exposition is very even. It, it's it's a simple thing to read. And it's... Remember when we read this in school, we watched, I think, a cartoon on it, too. <laughs> it was like a movie that went along with it. And I don't remember either of them very well until well, I, I remember you were. It. When you were rereading it this time, you were mixing it up with Charlotte's Web. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, Charlotte's Web too. I was like, wait a minute. I don't remember the communism in Charlotte's Web. Was it the spider? Was she hoarding something? I don't know. I... <laughs> well, you guys got anything else? Them damn Pokemon need freed. They need like a rebellion. Right. Ash Ketchum's a fuckface. I feel like there was a part in the first Pokemon movie where they were just all working together to make their own little world, and then Ash shows up, and they're just like. Damn it. <laughs> Little jerk. Well, I don't know. I might have to. I was looking at those new games, and I might have to enslave some more Pokemon sometime in the near future. But you know what? They don't even look like real things anymore, so I don't feel that bad about it. And that's why I become a Napoleon. Did you watch a whole video I sent you on the Mandela effect with video games? Yeah. I like the, uh, oh, what was the name of it? The, uh. Something Quill, the made-up Pokemon that turned out to oh, be yeah. somewhat of a real Pokemon. Tentacle. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. That's so weird. They made it on 4chan. <laughs> or, like, somebody drew it on 4chan, but then they, they don't know. It's like, because it was in the demo. Uh, that was, No one ever saw it. And it's like, well, was this guy involved with the demo? And they never found the guy again. So it was uh. like, God damn it. <laughs> Well, what did you guys like better, uh, the game or the book? I mean... I enjoy the game more, but now I see how the nuances of the book are just unlimited. It's just, you can really tie it into any part of life now, just back and forth. 
Uh, I think that the game is really fun, but it's very surface level. You're going to ha- have fun with it, set it down. The book you're going to think about off and on for the rest of your life just because you're constantly in that battle. So what's your choice? The book. <laughs> um, I have to go book as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, it was one of the better – not the best read I had this year, but it was definitely in the top five uh, of my top reads. And Pokemon, it's fun, but it's kind of repetitive. Like, for me, I always thought it was one of those games where I would, like, zone out a little bit and just, you know, go through fights and dumb shit. And it was like, okay, like, I didn't have to focus too much on But, like, Animal Farms, like like he said, it's something that's going to stick with you for a long time. Yeah. Um, If you asked me when I was, or if I asked me when I was, uh, <laughs> like, 15, I'd probably say the game because that was closer to, I mean, it, it was closer to when it came out originally. It was still really fun and new. And it's still it's still a really good game if you give it a, if you can actually like as an adult sit down and let it unfold again if you have the patience for it. I would say the book as well as an adult, um, just for all the reasons you guys said. It's just it's I was surprised. I, I sort of when I first started it, I sort of expected it to be like very 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 simple because of the way it read and for how short it was. But by the end, even the last page, I was like, oh, my God, this is the best. And you see them, you see the animals standing up like humans, wearing human clothes, playing poker. And it makes you think of those, that painting of the dogs at the, at the poker table. (laughs) (laughs) And And uh, some kudos to Orwell, because he was able to create what sounds like a ridiculous scenario of these animals, these sentient animals that can take over a farm and the pigs end up walking and stuff. But he told it in a way that it seemed like, yeah, that's real. Okay, that's checked out. They could do that. They talk. Yeah. And then the, the last scene, it, uh, it's like suddenly like a dolly painting or something like because it you end up picturing the the pigs turning in like you know turning into humans like I don't know it's something like that anyway it it was just very ridiculous you, like you I don't know I I literally pictured them turning into like human faces but yeah I would say the book I am curious about because they they did come out with um like new versions of Ruby and Sapphire for I don't know if it's for Switch or yeah I would say yeah I'm curious about that yeah if I if I got my hands on that I might play that again I don't know I do think it's funny also just small side note that there are Pokemon Safari games where you don't catch the Pokemon, you just take pictures of them so respectfully. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon Snap and... Yeah, 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 that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, like, you, you're just walking through the forest like, hey, what's up? Do on, you think Pokemon way. taught a generation of kids to mistreat animals? Or do you think it taught them kinship with animals? Because, I mean, yeah, you fight the Pokemon, but, you know, everyone's like, oh, Pikachu, that's my friend. Like, so... What do you what do you think uh is the situation there? I think Michael Vick played Pokemon. <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> yeah, he would. Too soon. I think as a kid you I don't know if that's a serious question, but I <laughs> <laughs> I think as a kid, at least for me, you do see more like the cuddly nature of it. It's 
when you still have an innocent mind, I don't, I don't know. I, you kind of forget that, like, what's actually happening. I think, like, I, I saw them for being cute or cool looking and then just getting the job done. You know, not really thinking about how they're, because nobody actually dies or anything. Yeah. They, they KO, they not they get knocked out, which is still kind of violent, but. So just mad brain damage. Yeah. Great. And they go to the doctor all the time. <laughs> They're fine. What a lovely life. <laughs> hey, but uh, no, uh, no, no doctor bill, or was there a doctor bill? Did you have to pay for that? I don't. I don't think so. Free health care. Universal health care and Pokemon. Okay, this oh. is communist. Socialism. <laughs> That's socialism. Communism. I don't know if they. I feel like communism would have really shitty health care. Might be free for everybody. Maybe be terrible. Be some guy in a back alley. <laughs> I mean, it was just like a hut where they put you in a machine for 30 seconds. Okay, it might be communism then. <laughs> did you have to pay for that? I don't think you did. I don't remember. A lot well, of it was stuff. a Japanese game, so he probably didn't make you pay. <laughs> he probably didn't even understand the I, the whole idea of having to pay for healthcare. It's the one thing I feel bad about on the on the Pokemon episode because I didn't play it. But I, I mean, it's I don't feel I don't feel bad because I've played it so many times. But there yeah. are like key things I don't remember. That I'd have to like go back and actually play it or to to remember. Like I don't I don't remember how money worked. I know you had to buy things, but I don't know. There's I mean there's a var- variety of details that I know we glossed over, but at the same time I know everyone's played that stuff. And yeah. it's like you guys know what we're talking about. When we're talking about the story, that's all. I mean, we kind of talked about the story for five minutes because it's not that big. It wasn't much of a story. I know. It's yeah. a one-time thing. And I think everyone enjoyed it regardless. Because we have imaginations, and I think it was relevant anyway. Everybody good? Are we solid on this? So good. Animal Farm, read it. Pokemon, play it. Fun time. Stay tuned for the next couple of episodes of Arcade Bookshop, airing every other Monday. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey... Share it with your friends if it's their thing. And leave us some comments and reviews and stuff. Tell everyone how you like it, even if it sucks. We just want you to be honest. It's good to be honest. But we want we want you to say good stuff, too. Because that gets us going. We can keep talking to you. We can keep having fun with each other. Be sure to follow and watch for us on Instagram at arcade underscore bookshop. You can look for our playing and reading schedule in the, in the show notes or uh, our Instagram so you can play and read along. If you have any game and book recommendations, you can message us on Instagram uh, or shoot us a message at arcadebookshop at gmail.com. Love to hear your recommendations. Sometimes it's really hard to pair these things up. Let's not forget Caleb and his life outside of this podcast. If you want to listen to my other podcast where we talk about writing and books, that is the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast found on every platform. You could follow us at DPW Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, the platform formerly known as Twitter and YouTube. And you can follow me at calebjamesk.com where I post stuff sometimes. Do you have any, do you have like a business page, Riley, or anything like that? Or anything you want to share? No, I'm in the shadows. <laughs> but you do some stuff on the side, right? Yeah. Do you want to advertise? No. Okay. <laughs> do you have any ventures coming up that you'd like to announce or is it so quiet? Uh, no, uh, we're, we're actually planning some big things in the future. Um, my coffee company, Ghost Coffee Collab, we are based in Pittsburgh. We are five friends who have been doing coffee for way too long. 
we are opening a cafe in collaboration with Trace Brewing. We are going to be located in Uptown, doing beer and coffee and other cool things for your friends and you to come and do with us, hopefully the end of October. Uptown Pittsburgh. Yep. That sounds fun. It's only two blocks from PPG Arena. So if uh, you Pittsburghers get on out in a few months and check them out, and if you're not from here, take a trip down. You can meet Riley, and you can look us up. Anyway, thanks so much for listening to Arcade Bookshop. Please do yourself a favor and stick a controller in one hand and your book in the other. Thank you.